everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode nine of season five of the Revised Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Boland, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. All right, new week, new questions, Kim. All right. This one I'm going to ask, it might be a little different from others. Okay, here we go. When you think about documentary films or documentary programs, what comes to mind? Do you watch them? Did you watch them? Or do you prefer like rom-coms, action adventure, straight up adrenaline, style of movies, horror films? <laughs> I love this question and I'll try to keep my answer short. When I worked professionally, one of the things that I did was documentary style photojournalism. I looked for stories, some that would take months or even a year to put together. But I told my stories via still frames. Mm. So with that experience, I was always drawn to documentaries. And I have to admit, I've watched my fair share of documentaries about running, adventure sports, and people doing really outstanding but scary physical things (laughs) that possibly seem that probably seem impossible to just about everyone else. Jimmy Chin is a documentary filmmaker and he's an avid adventurist. So he's made the film that some of you may have seen called Free Solo about the unassisted ascent on El Capitan in Yosemite. He made a film called 14 Peaks about climbers trying to summit the 14 highest peaks within a calendar year mind you (laughs) and uh, a documentary film called Meru which was another adventure story about climbing a specific route on Meru in the Indian Himalayas but I think my absolute favorite documentary see I didn't keep it short at all (laughs) Uh, similar theme is called Skid Row Marathon it's won a ton of prizes at different film festivals and I found it to be one of the most inspiring documentaries I have ever seen okay enough of me and my adventure stuff what about you okay so I love an adventure I love wildlife I love sports I love horror I love crime no I don't love any of those things in real life but (laughs) I I will watch anything so I like live my like like pseudo adventure side because I really have none I'm one thousand million percent risk averse in my life but Thank goodness for filmmakers, including documentary filmmakers who make like other people's real adventures. And I'm including like snakes and dogs and kittens in in those more accessible for me to actually take part in watching them. That's true. You're living vicariously. Absolutely. (laughs) Those more risk averse. (laughs) Yep. So we have been chattering a lot, but that's because all this chattering speaks directly to our next guest, who is a documentary filmmaker and who has produced several award-winning films that have been seen at national film festivals and international film festivals. He's quite new to the Department of Journalism and Creative Media, but he is not new at all to filmmaking. Please join us in welcoming John Haley, an assistant professor in journalism and creative media to the podcast. Welcome, John. Thank you 
so much for joining us today, John. We are thrilled to be able to talk to you today. Absolutely. It's great to be here. All right, John. So we're going to kick it off with a couple quick questions. First, where are you from? I am originally from Minnesota, southern Minnesota, a town called Mankato. Um, yeah, I lived most of my life there, actually. <laughs> okay, so that's the perfect uh, state to be from that has, like, the accent in the state name. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. more than I could have hoped for. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> you hear the O's very clearly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your position now? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm an assistant professor in journalism and creative media. Um, Right now I'm teaching classes in advanced videography and film and media theory. Um, And yeah, we're a bit more on that creative media side um, in in film, specifically documentary production is kind of my uh, practice as a as a creator. Excellent. So, John, we know that you've gotten a degree from Notre Dame, and we're not going to cast any judgment here, but you have to ask how this transition has gone, um, seeing that Notre Dame and Alabama were a rival at one point a couple of years ago. Does Roll Tide come easily to you, or are you still trying to figure out all the I'm I'm happy to report that it, it comes fairly easily. Uh, it's been, you know, uh, there there were some tough times in the past years that I won't go into. Um, <laughs> but you know, now everyone's been so welcoming, coming to campus. So it's hard to hard to not want to say roll tide when you when you get here. So, um, but yeah, there were there were a couple little uh, moments of tension. I'll just say in that in that relationship, right? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so John, as you look back on your life, um, think to like young John growing up, did you think that you were going to be a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker? Or is that something that you discovered a passion for later? Yeah. um, So yes and no, I think. I think um, it it was always... for a long time, it was kind of this this dream, but something that I you know wasn't sure if it was uh, practical or, or how it would work. Um, but I just you know loved. I grew up watching movies with with family, which I think you know a lot of people do, and and not just watching though, kind of talking about them and discussing them, and and looking at how um, different people react to different movies too, and and just kind of the, the variety of responses that people can have to these works. And um, I, I started off studying business and it just, uh, it wasn't working and it was clear that my heart wasn't in it. Um, <laughs> and so it, it took a, a semester for me to switch to, to studying film. And I think what, what was really unpredictable was going this route of documentary specifically. Um, I always thought, of you know writing and and as a kid I would I would just write stories and um, kind of let my imagination go go wild. Um, but when I took a documentary course in undergrad, I you know I kind of I think I had this perception and and this is something I see that a lot of folks have of documentary as um, it being this space where it's it's kind of just you know cut and dry, telling the facts, just reporting facts, um, and that's it, and and not. Uh, having a space for creativity and artistic voice within that. Um, and, and it's certainly just not true. And I think there's something exciting actually that happens when you're looking at stories rooted in reality, but what 
there, there are a million ways you could tell that story uh, and what artistic approaches, what um, storytelling decisions are you bringing in and, and using to tell that story that is rooted in reality um, is, is a really exciting question for, for creators, I think. And that was something that, you know, this idea of kind of like creating space around elements in someone's actual story. And it's in some ways, it's a big challenge too to not do any disservice to someone's story too. But when I, when I took that course and just thought of all the different ways that you can put these, you know, media skills into practice to tell real stories about the world, um, rooted in truth and perspective, I, I, that was a really exciting uh, and unpredictable development, I think, in my, in my life. Mm. Okay, so here's my quick follow-up there is, yeah. what led you to being a professor? <laughs> is that something that you thought like, when you kind of transitioned over into film studies, you think like, ooh, and I want to teach it. <laughs> yeah, so no, I'll say right off the bat, I'd never, I didn't think that when I was, certainly when I was an undergrad. Um, and, I, and I think too, it's worth noting that when I graduated undergrad, I kind of felt like I had, I, I didn't have a job set up until, I, I actually didn't really, you know, get a job. I, I ended up doing AmeriCorps mm-hmm. for a year, which is a, a job, but it's, you know, a year of, of service. Um, and that was partially because I, I kind of I had some friends who were just moving out to LA and they were like, we're just going to figure it out. And I, I didn't think I was ready to do that. Um, <laughs> but I, I took a position and I ended up being placed in Portland, Oregon. And I was working at a uh, agency that serves young people who are experiencing housing instability or, or homelessness. And um, there was a GED center as, as part of that. Um, and that's where I worked most of the days. I would work mornings in the drop-in center where folks could come in and get food. And then afternoons uh, in the GED center helping um, young people, you know, continue their education. And it was really, I, I really liked that experience because I think, and this is something I try to bring into teaching is, um, you know, and it's difficult sometimes in, in bigger classes too, but trying to, you know, I'd like sit down with a student and try to figure out what was, what were the challenges they were facing and what, how could I develop a, you know, approach that and a, um, and a plan to kind of move past those challenges. And um, I just, I just really enjoyed that experience and, and working together. And I was teaching, you know, math and, and English <laughs> and which are not necessarily, you know, they're not what I teach now, but, um, uh, but that was, it was kind of a, a wonderful experience. And then in, in graduate school, I taught, um, taught undergrad courses in film too. And I think that was kind of the, the perfect um, marriage there where it's like, not just do I, you know, like being in this exciting space of discovery. I mean, it's even like, you know, solving a math problem. There's some excitement in seeing someone do that who hasn't been able to do that before um, mm-hmm. or who had some challenges with regard to, you know, I don't know, navigating all these, the rules of math and everything. Um, and it's exciting too seeing what students create and how they take we teach editing, we teach how to use a camera. Yes, we teach all that stuff. And we do teach visual language and all these uh, considerations students should bring into that process of creating. But it's really, really exciting seeing then like what what do they go out and make? Um, and so I think, yeah, I never saw it really coming, <laughs> but um, 
there were kind of like little, I, I guess, stepping stones that maybe hinted that this was um, something I might enjoy. Nice. Oh, wow. So I have so many follow-up questions and you might yeah. have to have a part two on this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Going back to what you said when you were kind of telling us about how you got into it, you said that when you were growing up, you used to watch movies with your family. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering, were you watching documentaries with your family? Were you watching um, just comedies or like an array of films? Because I'm thinking about how you shift from how you and others shift from, oh, I'm just sitting back and it's two hours of straight up entertainment versus documentary films where in many cases they could be entertaining, but they also push you to think, you know, and it's, it's kind of a different experience. So what was yours growing up? Yeah, I would say, you know, honest answer is very few, if any documentaries. Um, But that's been something I'll note now too, as I, um, and even in undergrad, when I, when I started kind of moving toward that documentary space, that's something to, to bring into, uh, you know, whenever I'm, if I'm back home visiting family, which doesn't happen as, as often as it should, I guess, but, um, uh, you know, bringing documentaries and in, in, into that space and saying like, let's, let's watch this, you know, and, and see how it, it functions similarly in some ways to our, our fictional certain documentaries I think do function similarly to narrative fiction films others function very differently but there's still um, there's still a, you know a core kind of storytelling aspect there and so we were watching I mean my parents would kind of bring out their you know favorite films from when, when they were growing up and um, you know we'd watch new films that come out too and um, so it's so a variety but I think you know, at the core is kind of, and this is where I think I started to think um, about, you know, journey, my journey as a creator or, or starting to work as a creator is just how varied the responses were. And once, you know, in talking about them too, it's not just, I like this, I, I don't like this. Um, it's certain moments that people latch onto, right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and um, how those speak to, to certain people or 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 don't speak to other people and I think that's just something as a creator as a as a maker um you build all this intention into your work and you build all this um you really try to sculpt moments and and create moments of meaning and and build a structure um but to some degree and I think one of the scary but maybe exciting parts of film is that you never know if it's going to be received exactly that way um, there's a lot of room for people to take it in different directions or for people to see things that you, you know, might not have seen. And I think that goes, I draw parallels to that too with, um, you know, I, I show films to peers and mentors when I'm in the editing process. And um, there's just such, I think, strength to that process because it, it illuminates all these areas of, of things that you might be missing, you know, especially as I'm someone who typically shoots um, and edits my own work. And so when I'm there filming, um, I, I have all the information. And when I'm editing and putting the story together, I can fill in the blanks. I can fill in any blank spots in that story with what I know from having been there, from having had all these conversations with the folks um, involved in a story. Viewers can't do that. And so I think those, you know, 
talking among amongst family members about um, how we receive receive films and what people miss and what people um, latch onto. I think it informs certainly my work as a as a creator too, and just how you want to you know you you do want to control as much as you can of the story, but there's there comes a moment where you send it out into the world and you. Um, can't necessarily be certain as to how people will will take it and receive it. Okay, so here's here's maybe a question about that process. Yeah, when when you're filming um, and and or kind of uh, in the, I, I'm going to get terminology wrong, but the that's okay. <laughs> Like, are you thinking, uh, do you think equally or more or less about the, the content, the story, or about, like, the technical part yeah. of capturing and filming and then how it might lead to what you need to edit and that sort of, is it separate? Is it all one thing that you have to holistically figure out? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's all one thing. Um, but I think this, this gets to a, a really, you know, in, in narrative fiction filmmaking, you're, you're hopefully working with a, a shot list and you've, um, and, and it, you can work that way in documentary too, but unpredictable things happen. Right. And I mm -hmm. tend to film pretty observationally. So just, you know, filming things as they unfold, um, and try to get some information as to what that space will be like, what, uh, what will take place, but. There's, you know, I, I try to film with editing in mind for sure. And then also I'm, I'm trying to get better about not overshooting and, and getting too much footage because, um, you know, there should always be kind of some, some consideration, I guess, for how does this fit into the larger story? So I think both of those, mm. for example, one uh, on a project that I've, I've been working on, there's, um, there's a scene where um, someone is stocking shelves at the food pantry. Um, and so there's that, that's a repetitive action, right? She grabs this, uh, these pallets of um, grape jam. Uh, do people here say jam or jelly? Uh, they're different. Yeah. Oh, they're different. Yeah, okay. they're different things. <laughs> well, I need to tell everyone in Minnesota that they are, in fact, different because... Um, <laughs> I think people people use them interchangeably there, but anyway, grape <laughs> grape jam. Um, and so she's she's stocking shelves, and that's a very repetitive action, right? So there's um, there's an opportunity to start with a wide shot, um, and you know maybe there are twenty jars of jam that she's stocking. Um, get you know four or five in a wide shot, then get a close up, and there's usually an opportunity within that to cut on action. Um, and shorten that scene, but make it a really pleasing cut in a way uh, that might unfold in, in narrative fiction. Um, there's also, I think, you know, attention to what's in the frame too. And th this same project, there was, it's, it deals with, you know, political questions of, of where we are as a country, of um, influence of uh, across levels of government and there was kind of a as I was filming it's not just okay I need to get a shot of this person moving through space it's oh there's this you know this person is kind of silhouetted um, or, uh, against the city uh, and here's the American flag in the shot too and so this now becomes a question you're know, having the American flag on this um, tall structure and then this person this individual person makes you know visually signif 
signals that this is a story about you know one person's place, uh, questions of identity, questions of our future um, as a country, where we're going as a country, country all embedded in um, one person's story, right? And so things within the frame and how you arrange the frame can can tie back to the story that you're trying to tell um, and can underscore a lot of those themes that are, that are embedded in that story. Okay. One, one more question then. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you, uh, this, I don't mean this in a bad way, but you obviously sure. sound like you know what you're doing, right? How long did it take you to figure out like you know what you're doing? Mm. Well, I mean, so it's an interesting question to ask with documentary because there are still moments where I, you know, I, I go through footage all the time and think I wish I had gotten this, this instead of this, or I wish I had moved the camera there instead of there. And a, a lot of that is just knowing, you know, the first time I filmed for this project, I um, didn't necessarily know who would be larger in the story and who would who would not be in. And I didn't know, um, you know, I think the story's gotten not simplified, but maybe a bit more um, clear cut in terms of its narrative and and a little less sprawling. Um, So I think there's, yeah, with documentary, I don't think you ever quite (laughs) know, um, but you can make really informed decisions, I think, based on previous experience. And I think there was... Um, there are little tips I think that I, that you just learn uh, and people can tell you and then you don't um, <laughs> people tell you these tips and, and give you these suggestions and then you don't uh, maybe your first time you don't actually use them and then you go back through the footage <laughs> and you think wow okay actually this I can see where they're coming from so like um, I tell students all the time like if you're filming a uh, a b-roll shot um so you're filming you set up a tripod and you're getting a shot of uh the town count to 15 um seconds at least uh before you know you cut uh because i think oftentimes students like we think of it's like we're taking a picture and so we just you know set it up okay it looks great cool record and then go and then you end up with these three second um b-roll shots that you know get it'd be nice if that was 10 seconds or 15 seconds. And mm-hmm. um, just the idea of holding a shot um, for, for longer or, or having people enter and exit the frame, little um, kind of guideposts that you can use, even in situations where the story and the way people move and who's essential to the story is still kind of an open question that's being negotiated. Um, those little things can, I think, guide you um and within that process of negotiation so it's it took time i mean um in some ways i think i go back to the first project i ever filmed and this was when you know i was still learning the camera um and i actually found that i was less daring maybe to you know change the focal length and um get all these this you know, wild shop variety or whatever. So I was kind of just holding the camera and filming. Um, and this was a story about a man who um, spent 12 years on death row um, and 40 years in prison. And we were just kind of filming as things unfolded. And that, I go back and watch that. And I, you know, there's all these things I can point to where that wasn't, I wish I'd done this better or this, we didn't really light that interview the way we should have um, and all these things. But 
there are these really lovely long takes and um sometimes that stuff I think too is it's worth going back and, and thinking well what did I do right or what was kind of maybe embedded in in my process from the beginning that I can even go back to and I think just you know creating space for us to sit with someone's story and experience it in a long uninterrupted take that's something that I kind of um I don't know we'll always hold on to and, and kind of go back to um so I think there's, it's, you know, always this kind of process of figuring out and it's specific to the story, um, how things will be filmed, how, who will be filmed, um, you know, what type of, um, visual arrangement within the frame you're going for, but there are things too that kind of, uh, can guide you through from film to film through, through that process. So it, it takes time and it's an ongoing process too. Um, and I think we'll always take. Uh, take time to figure out for each project. So how do you find your stories or your subjects? Do you feel like everyone has a story or everyone has a documentary in himself or herself? Or does it take a lot of work on the front end for you to figure out what you're going to produce? And does the story, like, do you go in kind of knowing the story you want to tell? Or is it something where you might be in the process of filming and you're like, wait a minute, it's going in this direction. That was two questions. I'm sorry. No, no, that's, but they're, they're absolutely connected though. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, the, it usually starts, the answer is, I think it usually starts out, there's some, some theme or, or some, um, some larger uh, aspect of, of our society or where we're at um, politically or, um, you know, socially as a country that, I, that I'm really interested in. And I think I try to, you know, some issues are just um, not necessarily always going to be issues, but they're, they're certainly present and, and have like the death penalty. That's, that's mm-hmm. an ongoing issue in this country, an ongoing question. It's, it's unresolved. Um, there are, there are states that have uh, banded in states that, you know, still, um, use it. And, um, so that's, that's, you know, a story like, like Tony's where he was on death row for 12 years. Um, that was one where, um, and I was working with a, a colleague or a, a friend and collaborator, Julius Ramba on that one. Um, and, and she kind of had, um, heard his story through a friend or through a family member um, and kind of got connected to it that way. But it happens differently each time. And that was something where I think we both were still, we were very interested in this question of trying to reenter society after, after 12 years on death row and 40 years in prison um, and what that looks like. But as far as, you know, I think I, I often, you know, in, in 2020, I did a film, um, or I filmed it throughout 2020 and then post-production in 2021, but it was about, um, an electoral campaign in Wisconsin. And that was, you know, I, I was living in Chicago at the time, but I found that that was, it felt like this hub for, for electoral politics in 2020. And I found a story of, um, a young woman running for office for state assembly in Wisconsin, um, and just found that her her campaign distilled a lot of these themes that were present in 2020. It was um, in Wisconsin, this, this notorious swing state. It was um, uh, a 
in, in a suburban area in a gerrymandered district. It was she was a nurse running in times of COVID. All of these questions, but um, to answer your question of that, you know, things change too. They do, and and that was that film was one example of that where it you know started out. I was I was determined that this was going to show this was going to be a microcosm of American politics in in this one election. Um, and as the story developed, there there was kind of a, a love story that was actually developing alongside it. And um, there was a little bit of maybe initial panic of, shoot, well, this, how is this changing from the story um, that I set out to tell? But I think what's important to remember with documentaries is that these are real people and these are real lives. And so trying to, you know, shoehorn some story or or force the story to be something that maybe it's it's not exclusively anymore um, can be an act of disrespect too, I think to, mm-hmm. to real people in their lives and, and can be an ethical question mm-hmm. um, too. And so I think that was one where it, it's, it's kind of subtle and it, it kind of changes throughout the story changes from being so politically focused to being now very personally focused on um, this relationship, but it, it felt like a natural kind of shift to make and it felt like a respectful shift to make too. And I, and I don't think it, it weakens the story at all. I think it actually points to now the story is a bit about this dilemma of the personal and the political, right. Being a candidate and having this um, public persona, but also these, you know, moments of um, kind of comfort and, and security that you can share with someone you love and, um, that space that's created separate from this whirlwind space of, of an electoral campaign. So each one happens differently. I try to, um, and I'll just say too, I, you know, reach out to people in a ways if I hear their story in the news or hear of um, something like, uh, you know, through someone else. But I always try to have a very clear conversation up front about what, what this would involve. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, people need to know what, what they're agreeing to if they're agreeing to appear in a documentary. Um, I'm really happy when they do, but I want that to be an honest conversation about, you know, I'm going to be filming you. I'm going to be asking these questions. I'm going to be, and I always show work uh, in progress and and when it's completed to people who participate in it. But I think it's just uh, important to center those conversations up front too. So I'm trying to think of how to ask this. Is, Is there like a, consortium of documentary filmmakers like you you mentioned a collaborator yeah uh, but but this is also like it's it's not like you're telling a a story about how i went and picked a flower one day and it smelled lovely and life (laughs) you're you're describing some like really like heavy to be honest like heavy stuff and does that affect you, mm-hmm. um, people that that understand the the work and the process um, that you do as a filmmaker? That you kind of have some some moments of of reflection, but also like, yeah, this this work that we do is is hard. Yeah, I mean, I think there are you know there are kind of formal and, and informal kind of collectives or, or collaboratives. Um, there's also been some really great resources that have come up in um, recent years from um, groups like CMSI and um, uh, 
a couple other groups, uh, International Documentary Association is one, um, where they've kind of tried to organize and, um, and put together some resources about, you know, because I think I, you're, you're right exactly that it's, um, it can be tough to, you know, bear and, and maybe sit with someone, someone else's trauma or, or someone else's pain. Um, it can also be uh, an ethical question too of like, what does it mean to ask someone to, to relive that and to retell that in a interview setting? Um, and so we've seen groups like there was just um, released, it's a, a framework for like non-extractive filmmaking, an ethical framework. Um, and so it's a document that uh, kind of compiles how we can think of documentary because there is a, a, a problematic history of documentary being extractive, right? And and being unethical um, way back to the or origins of filmmaking. And um, so I think it's those resources too, kind of providing space and, and real suggestions for it. How are you thinking about what is my position? What is my power as a filmmaker? Uh, how have I had honest conversations with the participants in my film? Um, am I the right person to tell this story is, is getting a lot of traction as a, a question that I think is an essential question too. And even the act of asking that question, um, I think just prompts you to think about how you're telling the story and how you're communicating with people who are in the story uh, more intentionally. So yeah, I think there are resources out there. It's, um, it is tough because sometimes, you know, there, I think there are groups that work as a team and um, there's also, and this is getting more kind of just to like the logistical workflow. Um, it can be because sometimes, and, and when I work, it's often just me kind of there filming. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but there's also, I think a, like the project I'm working on now, um, I'm working with the same collaborator and there's kind of a benefit. And I nodded to this earlier, but to, you know, I was there filming, um, I was there in all the situations. I, I kind of had this idea in my mind of this is what this section is going to tell. This is what this scene is going to tell. Um, and I'm filling in those gaps. And uh, my collaborator who wasn't there can say, this is unclear to me. Um, and that's, that's beneficial for me to know because it's, and then it's, oh, here's, you know, I'm filling in this, this story with all the knowledge I have from being there, but someone who wasn't there isn't experiencing it in the same way. And that's, you know, a valuable thing to know as, as editors for what, you know, what context do we need to add? Mm -hmm. uh, what form is that going to take? Do we need to add a text block? Do we need to hmm. um, shift things around in the story? Do we need to, um, you know, this, this section of interview that we're thinking of cutting, when we cut it, what do we lose, right? Um, and if we don't lose anything, that's a good note that we should probably cut it. Um, <laughs> but if we feel like suddenly, uh, suddenly there's, there's something missing and there's some gap, um, that's really valuable to know and, and figure out either keep it in or how can we um, deliver that information to the audience too. Mm. Oh my goodness, John, I haven't even started to get at all of the questions I have, but <laughs> we will legit have to do a part two with you. Because... I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we are actually at the wrap up section of this episode, but we want to make sure that we, in this with some recommendations for you and I'm really excited to hear these answers so number one what is your favorite tv show or what should you be what should we be watching right now mm. 
Yeah, well, and this might be an, you know, I don't know if it's a different. Well, I'll just say I like I've been watching Abbott Elementary. Oh. And I love it. Um, and I know it's not, you know, a documentary TV show or, or anything uh, or a documentary <laughs> miniseries, but I think it's uh, I think it's great. And I think it's just uh, I don't know. We, we need there's a lot of moments of joy and then also moments of kind of serious questions of um American public education system too. And, and, you know, I think attention drawn to that and, and underfunding. And so it's, I, I love it. I think it's a great show. <laughs> great suggestion. I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Following yeah. that up, what's the movie that we need to see right now? Mm, okay. Well, I really, um, I have, I mean, these, do they have to be current movies? No. no, in no, theaters? no. Okay. No. Um, so for documentaries, I, I think, Minding the Gap I, I, is a film I love by um, Bing Liu, uh, and it's um, set in Rockford, Illinois, and it's uh, three um, young men kind of coming of age, um, and the filmmaker is one of the characters, too, um, and so, you know, it's interesting to read about the film because it... Um, it's there was a there was a cut that didn't have him in it and then he got notes from the producer saying i think you need to be more of a character in it um mm. and but it's it it touches on certainly heavy themes of um domestic violence and and the cycles of violence that that can create um growing up in a in a home environment like that um looking at it through these these three characters experiences but i, I think it's an it's a film that yeah, touches on these really heavy issues and does so in a really personal way. And, um, you know, it's, I think, a interesting and, and thought-provoking film to watch today, thinking about the filmmaker being as participant, as one of the characters in the film um, himself. Uh, I also think Time by Garrett Bradley is an incredible film. Um, this is another one, too, when thinking about creating and how works get created and you know, how documentary can be so unpredictable. It's a film about um, the criminal justice system, uh, about incarceration, but it's, um, you know, a story of uh, a woman's, it's directed by Garrett Bradley, uh, and it's a story of a woman trying to, her work to kind of uh, free her or her husband or, or get her husband out of jail. Um, but when Garrett Bradley was filming, there, there came a point in the process where, um, uh, her her participant handed her hours and hours, I, I think over a hundred hours of footage, archival footage of home videos that she had shot of their kids, um, kind of preserving memories for her husband who who was incarcerated. Um, and so that completely upended the or not, or not upended, but you know it, it shifted the filmmaking process. And this archival footage gets woven in. This this home video footage gets woven in beautifully to the film, um, but again, a really intriguing example to look at the situation behind the production and what, and what happened and how these moments and these these decisions of, of what's included and what's not included and what how does that change the, the aesthetic of the film and the experience of the film um, are really, really, I don't know, I think really complex and, and exciting questions to, um, to ask and, and to look at in a, in a film that's very, very, beautifully done, but touches on serious, um, serious issues of, of incarceration in America. 
so many recommendations here. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's a really fun one that we're going to end on. If your life were a reality show, what would it be? And you can make up a reality show. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. Um, well, you know, we did have in my hometown, we had we did have someone from my high school who was on American Idol briefly. Uh, but that would not have been me for sure. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe I would be in another life. If I really, you know, devoted time to it, I would be a chef and devote so much time to cooking. So maybe I would appear in, you know, like diners, drive-ins and dives or something like that, if that counts. Um, and I just, I just pop in as suddenly I'm, I'm running this restaurant somewhere. Um, and, and cooking all this stuff that right now I really don't know how to cook. So, I mean, I do, I do, but not in the way a chef can. And that can be its own documentary right there. Right. The process (laughs) by which that happens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) John, it has been so much fun talking to you today and legit get you back on for part two, but thank you for making the time to catch up with us and tell our listeners more about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. It's been, it's been wonderful. And I appreciate both of you, you know, taking the time to, to ask me these questions and it's, it's always fun to talk about this stuff. So I'm absolutely down to come for part two. No, we'll get you for part two. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. I'll be there. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye.